We started on our journey together with a paranormal investigation at Eloise Asylum. We left the asylum eager to learn the truth. We bought our own equipment and decided to document our findings. And we're here to share them with you. I'm Melissa. I'm Mandy. Welcome to our paranormal experience. Hey everyone, I'm Melissa. And I'm Mandy. Today, me and Mandy are going to discuss the story behind the first Conjuring movie, The Perrin Family Haunting. We originally did this episode on Coffee Murder Mystery, but we felt like a lot had changed and we put this podcast on its own feed and just made it its own thing. And we're going to actually redo this episode, so it should be different. So if you've listened before, you could still listen again. The Perrin family story starts in 1971, when the Perrin family moved to Harrisville, Rhode Island. The family of seven, Roger, Carolyn, and their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April, moved into a 14-room farmhouse on 200 acres of land. As the story goes, the family noticed odd things happening from the start, but these were mostly small occurrences, things that you could just brush off, especially with five kids in the house. The things in the rooms would be moved and there would be piles of dirt laying in the middle of a cleanly swept floor. Household items were just continuously moved out of place. Strange noises that could be attributed to living in a very old house. But the children, who were all close, started noticing their belongings being moved around and would argue amongst themselves. They would blame the others for touching and moving their things. Their mother, Carolyn, who was not accustomed to them acting this way, started to intervene to no avail. I'm surprised that they've never acted that way. Don't you find that hard I, to believe with I kids? Mean, there's like five of them. Right. Yeah. I feel so, like they I mean, would have acted. She I, must have had really good kids. Uh, because, I mean, just to think of it now, like my 19-year-old will still do that with my 10-year-old just for fun. My two oldest do it to youngest, so. Mm-hmm. They claim that the activity grew over time. They described instances such as a father and son with their dog manifesting at the top of the stairs and just staring off into the distance. The couple's youngest daughter, April, insisted there was a spirit of a girl in her closet who wanted to play with her toys and made friends with the spirit named Olivia. One female in the house, I can't be sure if it was Andrea or Carol, described seeing themselves as an elderly woman manifested in front of herself, wearing 17th century clothing. What she believes is that this means that we should consider reincarnation exists, or we could be part of like a multidimensional universe that it's easy to cross over. I wonder what made her think that. I would just think it was somebody that that lived before and now they're a ghost. 
Right. Well, I guess just because it looked like herself, you know, she's thinking like it's herself in the past or I don't know. I would just think it was like something screwing with me. Oh, like a um, doppelganger. Yeah. There was also a time that Carolyn described seeing two men sitting at her dining table. Can you imagine just like walking into your dining room and there's just like two ghost men just sitting there having a conversation? No. Especially if I'd already cleaned the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) One of the men noticed Carolyn and pointed, trying to bring attention to the other man, like showing her to him. The Perrin family has stated that they feel the men at the table saw Carolyn as a ghost. You know, you, do you remember that movie, The Others? Yes, where it was like, the people lived in the house yeah. and they thought that they had ghosts, but they were really the ghosts. When we last did this podcast, I had like a completely different thought process in my head because I did not believe in ghosts at all. But now me and Mandy have been doing these paranormal investigations and things And I am more of a believer now than not. But I still think that this story seems really kind of extreme. I agree. I think that a lot of these stories that we hear about seem extreme. Like Amityville and the Enfield Poltergeist and all of those other stories. They seem... Right. I don't know. You know, like, I just feel like maybe there's some exaggeration there. But I don't know. Oh, my. Right. I mean, as we're going on these paranormal investigations and we're waiting so long just to get like a snippet of activity, I just can't imagine seeing something like this. I would love to. It would be amazing, but I just can't imagine it. But, you know, I don't know everything. I don't either. And it is on, I think, both of our bucket list to visit here one day. Absolutely. Find out for ourselves. Absolutely. I totally want to go to the Conjuring House. They actually said that at first, the children seemed to enjoy the spirit, seeing them as friends or playmates. And I read that in most places, they used the word babysitter here. I really hope that wasn't the case. I hope they weren't actually using the ghost as a babysitter. I'm hoping that was some sort of like exaggeration in articles. But the girls even stated that the ghosts would come into their bedrooms at night kissing them on the heads while they were drifting off to sleep. Seems sweet. Kind mm, of? No, don't don't kiss me, ghost. <laughs> no, uh-uh, yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> you should see my face right now. No. As you could probably imagine, that quickly changed. Roger, the girl's father, would open doors and be overwhelmed with the smell of rotting flesh. I said it in Amityville, and I'll say it again, and I said it last time we did this one as well, but, like, how do people know what rotting flesh smells like? I remember saying that before, and you were like, roadkill, and that is so true. Yeah, I imagine roadkill or bad meat, like old hamburger, old chicken, that smell. And they said that the cellar was super eerie and just full of strange noises, and everyone would get goosebumps, and nobody went in there with the exception of Roger, and he felt he had to because he was like the dad and the heater was down there and he would have to mess with it and things like that. I wonder if it was 
like the old cellars that had the dirt floor. That's what I picture. Looking at the house, I would think probably. Like I've seen pictures. how old it is. The mom, Carolyn, seemed to be the family member that had the most consistent negative haunting experiences. While in the home, she was visited nightly by a woman wearing gray with her head hanging to one side. And I feel like this is where the bent neck lady came from. Like they use this as inspiration in the Haunting of Hill House. It sounds like the bent neck lady. The first time I saw the bent neck lady, like it literally. It freaked me it out. It freaked me out. It really did. It was freaky. Yeah. They did a good job on the first season of that. The woman clearly didn't want Carolyn in the home and would tell Carolyn to get out or she would be driven out by doom and gloom. Don't you think that it's like an awfully like rhymey thing for like a ghost to say? I mean, it's not rhymey, but like poetic or... It does. It reminds me of a threat that an old-fashioned ghost would say. Like, I don't feel like anybody today would say, I'm going to drive you out with doom and gloom. Right. Like, we wouldn't talk that way. There would be like swear words. Probably the worst thing that she could think of to say. Yeah. (laughs) The ghosts that had visited the children had turned dark as well. The family had stated that there were attacks that they won't speak about publicly. And so that's left our minds to wander. Demi, there were five young girls in the house. Kind of makes it seem like those bedtime kisses aren't really so sweet. There were reports of the girls' beds rocking on the floors, and there were even reports of levitation. Carolyn started going to a local historic society and supposedly spoke to a historian. She was looking into the history of their Rhode Island farmhouse. Carolyn had found the Black Book of Burville. Now, this book was used to record deaths in the area that could be attributed to suspicious circumstances, foul play, And basically anything unnatural. Mandy, did you want to read what she claims to have found? Yes. Prior to 1971, the farmhouse belonged to the Arnold family. Mrs. John Arnold committed suicide by hanging in the rafters of the family barn. Mr. John Arnold followed suit later on, joining his wife by going up into the eaves of the home and drinking horse liniment. Jarvis Smith and Edwin Arnold supposedly froze to death and were found under the blacksmith shop. Prudence Arnold was said to have been raped and murdered by a farmhand, William E. Knowlton. Her throat cut with a straight razor. He then took his own life as well. And finally, Bathsheba Thayer Sherman. Bathsheba was the ghost the family felt was troubling the mother, the bent neck lady of the Perrin family. Bathsheba supposedly murdered her own infant with a knitting needle as a sacrifice to Satan, a witch who practiced the black arts of magic. She was described as bitter, vindictive, vengeful, and unholy. There are claims that she would starve and beat her staff. The sacrifice kept her young-looking and ravishingly beautiful. Bathsheba died of a baffling paralysis and her body turned to stone. Now, that's a lot, and sometime in the midst of all this activity, I'm not exactly sure when, though 
Warrens entered the picture. If you aren't familiar with the Warrens, Ed was a self-proclaimed demonologist, and Lorraine worked beside him as a clairvoyant and medium. Together they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research. It is the oldest paranormal group in New England, and is said to have used doctors, researchers, police, nurses, college students, and clergy members to assist with investigations. Ed and Lorraine were both members of the Roman Catholic Church and believed that demonic forces would possess those that did not have faith. Ed and Lorraine Warren have a lot of supporters, but it seems for as many supporters as they have, they have an equal number of critics. The Warrens were not called directly by the Perrin family, but it's said that a concerned family friend gave them a call. Although I didn't find information that could discern between their visits, it seems to me that there were many visits all for investigational purposes. Lorraine Warren immediately stated that she felt a presence in the home, a demonic presence. She told the family that she felt a presence in the pantry of the home that was evil, and they should seal it up and never open it again. I would be really mad if I lost my pantry to a demon. I do not have a lot of storage in my house. I would just. I would have sage in there, like incense or something. I'm not sure. Well, that's where the snacks are, Melissa. I, I know they would go there, wouldn't they? I would think. My my youngest is a snacker. He's my biggest snacking kid. He he has a little bit of a problem. Like I have to regulate it. I wonder if there was a demon in our pantry. If he would still go, I bet you he would still go in there I to feel get snacks. Like knowing him, he would still go in. After their investigation, the Warrens and Perrins agreed to have a seance. But during the seance, something seemed to go wrong. It was said that Carolyn was thrown across the room and Roger threw the Warrens out of the house in fear for his wife's safety. And this is how the premise for the movie The Conjuring was born. The Warrens and Perrins maintain that the events of the movie are true and were actually scarier in real life, which it would be scarier in real life if that was happening to you in real life. Absolutely. But the claim is more than that. It's more that the movie was toned down from the real life version of events, like that it was just so much far worse in in real life. I can understand that in a way if it was happening to you personally, right? I thought the movie was scary. I feel like Hollywood generally doesn't tone anything down. You know, they they hype it up. They exaggerate it. I feel like that's pretty standard. Right. So I think that that gives me doubt about the authenticity of the haunting. So in the movie, they actually omitted the seance and replaced it with an exorcism. In the movie, the Warrens were able to rid the family of the evil spirits. And the parents state that in real life, the seance made the haunting worse. They suspect that Lorraine Warren actually opened a gateway that could not be closed. That's really scary. You know, if you expect somebody to come and get rid of something. And they make it worse. And they make it worse. Let's just say that all this is real. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that would be kind of likely, right? Because you nobody really knows. This is no scientific expertise area that, right. you know, people 100% know what they're doing and can go somewhere and 100% guarantee you that they're going to rid you of your evil spirits. It can't even be proven that they're there. I think that it is really a hard thing to do when you are someone who's going to somebody's house and you're saying that you can get rid of these things or you wanted somebody to come help you because there's no science there. I think that if you did call somebody to help you and they couldn't help you, who else are you going to call? I mean, there are no Ghostbusters. (laughs) Right. Which, if you didn't see that movie, I really liked it. It was really good. Go see it. (laughs) The parents stated that they actually got used to it for the most part. They lived in the home for 10 years. They definitely described some creepy tales that would have had me living in my car with my five kids if I had to. I feel that it is implied that there was ghostly rape happening, which I would definitely want my kids away from. Yes. And if the real thing was scarier than the movie, I oh, yeah, there's nothing there. that would make me stay there. I would be homeless before I would stay there. Here are some other creepy things that would have had me out of that house. There are claims that the dad was molested by a ghost. That ghosts would line up around Carolyn's bed with torches and like march around. I would never sleep. No. I mean, how could you? Even if it only happened one time? Right. You would never sleep again. Like, how, how could you... Like, get used to it. I couldn't. Like, they would just be walking around and you'd just be like, hey, Joe. Can you put the torch like, down name the them? lights bro- shining in my eyes? <laughs> so not everyone believes the claims by the Perrin family. Other people have looked into the history of the home and feel that what the parents obtained through the historian was inaccurate. Actually... No one can seem to find the identity of the historian that they supposedly obtained these facts from. One of the people who was seeking to dispel the rumors was Norma Sutcliffe. Norma and her husband purchased the house after the parents. She actually made a very interesting YouTube video. If you're interested in watching it, it's called The Conjuring House Owner, Norma Sutcliffe, disproves the movie and Andrea Perrin's story. If you do decide to watch the video, I do ask you watch it until the end. Norma and her husband lived in the house somewhere along the lines of 20 years, but have since sold it to a couple that does paranormal investigations. Actually, me and Mandy, we really, really want to go on a paranormal investigation at that house. Norma claims that she was not happy that The Conjuring was being made and claims that her privacy was not protected. She claims that there were trespassers to her Rhode Island home all hours of the day and night. Do you think that maybe she just said it wasn't haunted to keep people away? I mean, that could be true. Because it would be really hard living in that house. It would be really terrible. I'm not a people person. If people were walking around my house 
that would upset me. I wouldn't mind if ghosts were walking around my house nearly as much as I would real people. (laughs) Yeah. I do think that it is totally possible that she could say that to keep people away. I also think that, I mean, it could be true that it's not haunted. It could be. I do think that the claims were like kind of extreme. I do feel like if there were hauntings of that nature, we would see them. Like they would, we would, I feel like it would be easier to prove hauntings were real. But maybe they are real and they're just extremely rare. I mean, I can't say for sure, but nobody can, right? That's just my opinion. Right, that's true. I also have seen many articles online claiming that Norma has experienced paranormal activity in the house, but Norma says that that is just not true. She claims that she has heard noises and things that can be mainly attributed to living in an old farmhouse. She says that the house is not haunted and blames Andrea Perrin for the falsities that she claims are out there. Andrea Perrin, who is an adult now, has written three books regarding the family's supposed experiences at the house and also gives lectures. Me and Mandy actually saw a lecture by Andrea Perrin just a few months ago. She seemed like a nice woman. And she also didn't really touch on the haunted house that she lived in. She was more of a motivational speaker. That's what her lecture was about. She was at a paranormal convention. I think people would have been okay with her talking about a haunted house. So that makes me think that, you know, she's not just out there spouting about this all the time. Correct. Kind of like a motivational speaker. That's, That's what it seemed to me. I did actually not listen to the whole lecture. By that time of the paranormal convention, I was a little bit overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed in crowds and I went and found a corner by myself for a few minutes. And she went shopping. I did. I went shopping while no one else was in the shopping area. That was so nice. From what I did see, Andrea Perrin seemed like a nice, normal human being. I mean, that was just my impression. But Norma does raise many great points in the video. And when they purchased the house, they couldn't have known that the movie was going to be made. I do have I do have sympathy for what she went through. I mean, the invasion of privacy. But more toward the end of the video, Norma also speaks about the experience she had when she called TAPS and they came to her home to investigate. They did gather a small amount of evidence, mainly having to do with a closet door during their investigation. She also speaks about what sounds like numerous meetings that she had with Andrea Perrin, even making videos with Andrea. So it kind of seems like they started out friendly and then they they had this feud. Maybe I'm the only one who finds this strange, but haunted or not, like if a previous owner of a house or like a previous tenant came to my home, I mean, I could understand that. Like people sometimes live in a home for 20 years. Like I could see that, like people going back there. I don't know. I guess it's just because I'm not social. Like I feel like our meeting would be brief. I wouldn't really care for it. I have had the urge to, like, maybe go see my childhood home. Like, I understand it. Right. I have, too. And I feel like this Norma is contradicting herself, though. It does seem, I think, that different parts of this or different 
you know, are contradictory in different ways. You also mentioned that she had called taps, which leads me to believe that she thought the house was haunted. Yes, she did call taps, but she does claim that the house is not haunted. Maybe she was trying to prove that it wasn't haunted. Could be. I guess it could go either way. But I feel like if you call a paranormal show, I mean, I don't I don't think that taps is falsifying anything. I mean, I'm not terribly familiar, but from what I've seen, I don't think so. I think that they say when they don't think things are haunted, I don't think that they come out with a tremendous amount of crazy evidence to say things are haunted. You know, I think that they get a normal amount of evidence that I would see us get, you know, at different places. Absolutely. So, you know, I don't think that they're falsifying anything or anything like that. I mean, so maybe that is why she called them. Maybe she was like, oh, they can not find anything here. and But it does make it seem weird to me that they would have such an extreme haunting and Taps would go there and just find, you know, a couple bits of evidence that had to do with a closet door. Correct. The parent family did have the five daughters. And we've talked before about the poltergeist stuff and teenage girls, their emotions and their hormones and everything. Right, they feed them. Bring stuff. Yeah. So maybe that could have something to do with it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that is a lot. That is a lot lot of of hormones. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, also, I mean, I think that if things do happen, especially in children, if something happens, let's say something small happens. My son pulled a muscle in his back. He did inform us all that he had a herniated disc. I think that children exaggerate things sometimes without even realizing they're doing it. Well, their imagination is, yeah. is so much big. Big. Yeah. It's, it's big. It's just big. <laughs> so Norma also detailed the history of the home during her video. And according to other sources, she does appear to be correct. I ran across a site called The Skeptical Inquirer. Kenny Biddle wrote an article really taking the time to go through everything. Remember all those deaths that I had you list off earlier, Mandy? Yes. Those supposedly occurred in the home or just outside the home. They appear to have come from the Black Book of Burville, the book that I spoke about that outlined all the deaths in the area that were not from natural causes. I believe this book was in use until 1991. It seems that back when these deaths occurred, that there were many common surnames in the area, but the families were not actually related. This made it easy to find a person with the last name Arnold and assume that they were associated with the farmhouse when they actually were not. That's another problem. It was said earlier that both Mr. and Miss John Arnold committed suicide, Miss Arnold by hanging in the barn, and John himself by drinking horse liniment in the eaves of the home. Although the couple did commit suicide, they committed suicide in their own home, which was in Tax District 1, and the farmhouse sits in Tax District 6. Apparently, John's obituary and his death certificate both list different poisons. One lists horse liniment and the other states Paris green, which is like that green 
you know, back in the day, the green stuff had arsenic in it. You know, you couldn't put it, the makeup on your face and stuff. Right. Edwin Arnold and Jarvis Smith were said to have frozen to death under the blacksmith's shop. Edwin did at one time own the farmhouse. But it seems that he was actually walking home in 1903, taking shortcuts across other farms when he either became lost in the dark or became too tired to go on. And he froze to death about a mile and a half down the road from the farmhouse. Jarvis Smith, who had been tried and acquitted of murder, was drunk when he decided to sleep in the shed on the property. He froze to death in the shed, which was on the property about 200 feet from the farmhouse. Oh, and Prudence Arnold. Poor, poor Prudence Arnold. She was orphaned at age three. She was taken to the Richardson home to be cared for as their foster child. When Prudence was only 11 years old, William E. Knowlton followed her up to the second floor of the home and slit her throat with a straight razor. In trial, they found that Prudence had agreed to marry him four months prior, but changed her mind and refused. If he couldn't have Prudence, no one would. And this didn't happen in Rhode Island. This happened in Prudence's foster home in Massachusetts. The author of the article, Kenny, tried looking for ties between Prudence and the Arnolds that resided at the farmhouse, but he found none. It is believed that she was from an entirely different line of Arnolds. It sounds like every bad thing that happens, they want to just connect it back to this house. I think now it is that way, right? I mean, there's still a lot of the same surnames. I mean, Smith, there's Smiths everywhere. But it definitely was different back in the day. I think they just kind of connected everyone named Arnold to this house. And although there were a couple of things that happened there, but they didn't all happen there. So it definitely gives less ammunition to the house being haunted. Right. I mean, and I think that any house or property old enough is going to have tragedy on it. Correct. Just as much as there's going to be joy there, too. And I think some places could be haunted that don't have tragedy on them. I mean, I don't think it's a requirement. Right. I mean, it does seem like they connected a lot of things to the house that didn't belong. Finally, there was Bathsheba Thayer Sherman. And this woman has got a bad rap after her death. First of all, there's no evidence suggesting that Bathsheba murdered her infant child. It does seem that she may have lost three children very young, but they were not included in the Black Book of Burville. So if they weren't included in the Black Book, they must have died of natural causes, which was really common back then, right? Like child death was much more common long ago. Yes. I mean, when we go to cemeteries, do you remember all the little kids' the graves? Yes. Oh, my God. We will see sometimes. I mean, we've seen, like, families that have, like, a child die, like, every year, every two years. And we're like, oh, my God, what was happening to the poor children? Mm-hmm. It was just so much more normal then. She did have a one son that did outlive her. And this information was found in census records. The only documents that people seem able to locate her on are census records, an obituary, and a will. Bathsheba was born at Thayer, and she lived on the Thayer farm 
until she married into the Sherman family. She then moved over to the Sherman farm, where she lived until her death in 1885. She was buried at a local Baptist cemetery, and unfortunately, her gravestone has been repeatedly vandalized. That's really sad. It is. It is really sad. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how often this was done or not done, but I've read before, you know, if she was truly thought to be some type of witch or something, they wouldn't have allowed her to be buried in the Baptist cemetery. Right. If I was born in those years, they would call me a witch. Actually, I was thinking of both of us, right? Yeah, we would be. We, I mean, do we? I don't conform to social norms. (laughs) No. Um, I mean, I think just going on our investigations and and recording these podcasts about ghosts and, Absolutely. And the the other podcasts where we do true crime and we would be thought to be abnormal. So I do think it's really weird that Lorraine Warren actually called out Bathsheba's name and named her as a dark presence in the house. Because I don't really think that there was any proof during her life that she was some kind of evil person. I mean... Right. Okay, let's let's just say that, that that did happen. You know, we've talked before about sometimes evil entities could trick people and say a name or something that's not real so just plain devil's advocate maybe the demon did call itself Bathsheba to Lorraine but it wasn't really her it was something evil right I mean that could be I did read at one point that Andrea Perrin said that the whole family would be willing to move back into that house what do you think about that I think If it were me personally, if things were as bad as they said, I would not move back into that house. I I wouldn't even go near it. I mean, and clearly everybody can't afford this, but I feel like it becomes like a Hill House situation where, (laughs) like, in the show, they just kept the house, right? And they just, like, didn't let anybody live there. And then, like, later it called them back. But because you wouldn't want anybody to live there. And I feel like I would probably go to some extreme and set it on fire. You know, if it was really that bad. Me, today, I would absolutely stay the night there. Well, I would definitely go there for an investigation and stay the night. But I don't have any bad memories of that house. Right. I wasn't tortured like they say they were. I just, it does make it seem strange to me that she had said that they were willing to move back in. I mean, I would probably live there. (laughs) I mean, if a house is that haunted, another paranormal investigation team is always going to buy it, right? So, like, I wouldn't be – I feel like in those days you had to be more worried. Either you were going to get a lot from the house or you were going to be stuck with it. Well, I think back then it probably would benefit you to try to sell it. But people may not want it because – Right. Or they're not going to want to pay the the going price for a house and property like that. But I do feel like in today's age, it makes it more valuable. Because there's weirdos like us that like that. And I do think that the current owners, they lease it out for the paranormal investigation. Correct. I think that that's a good idea. Yeah, it's like a good money-making thing. I would love to live there just to like do my own little – like I want to know. 
I want to know if it's haunted. Like, I want to know if it's going to come for me. I'm not afraid. Nobody in her family died. Everybody was fine. <laughs> you just Maybe some, wouldn't... like, mental scars. I'm prepared. You probably wouldn't sleep well, though. I wouldn't keep my kids there. No. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I can't say that I would want to live in a house that was that haunted and active, if all that was true. Small little things wouldn't bother me, but if it was mean and, like, molesting people, if that's true. Right. That is definitely a problem. I don't want that kind of ghost as a roommate. I do think that in these kind of things, these stories, maybe it's haunted. I feel like a lot of them, this is just my personal opinion, are probably exaggerated for profit. And I do hear people say things like, oh, well, they didn't make a ton of money off of it. But I don't think you know that, right? Like, you don't know that until after. A venture's a venture. If it's failed, you don't know that it's going to fail. That's true. And I think also, you know, many people, they don't tell stories for profit. They tell stories to possibly seem interesting or, right. you know, there's a lot, like, just think about you know, when you were younger, like, I feel like in school, there was always that kid that had those exaggerated stories. Oh, of stuff, course. Right? And there right. was just to Locker make them, room talk. Right. It was just anything to make themselves stand out from everybody else. Like, whatever they had was bigger, better. Right. Everybody wants that extra respect. Everybody wants to be the cool kid. Right. So, you know, some people can make this up for popularity. Not saying they did, but I mean, right. we don't know. But we don't money know doesn't did always have to be a motive, I guess, is what I'm trying to that say. Is, it is true. It is true. It's very true. You guys should let us know what you think. Email us and let us know if you think the parent house is haunted. And if you've been there or been on a paranormal investigation there, we definitely want to talk to you. Yeah, I think it would be nice if... If you guys had stories about it and... It would be really cool to speak with somebody who had been on a paranormal investigation in the house. That would be really neat. I just want to know. Yeah. I just want to know I what think other we people could have experienced do, there. You know, add it as like a follow-up to this. If, oh, absolutely. If people wanted to do that, that'd be fun. So if you have any information on the house, you can email us at paranormalexperiencepod at gmail.com. We think for our next episode, we're going to do something a little different and cover Bigfoot. I'm really excited. I don't know a lot about Bigfoot. Mandy knows a little bit more. She really loves Bigfoot. I do love Bigfoot. She got her picture taken with Bigfoot last month. I did. But I've I've read Bigfoot books since I was in grade school and just heard stories. So it's always been something that fascinated me. So... I'm going to learn a lot, and we think we're going to focus on, like, Bigfoot sightings in Michigan and some, like, Bigfoot history. Thanks for listening to Our Paranormal Experience. <laughs>